You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And you can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer where you get um, access to exclusive B-roll audio at the $1 and $2 levels. And at the $5 levels, you get access to movie commentary tracks that we record. Um, and then at the $10 level, you get all of that plus um, unreleased and... Um, unreleased and early access to, uh, content. Um, so yeah, that's uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, yeah. And so yeah, uh, so I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as usual, is Tiny. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? Hey, I'm great. Nice. It has been a couple of months since we recorded an episode of Tower Junkies. It has. Yes. Um, so that. <laughs> Uh, everything has happened, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been um, crazy. All, I think I it was before Thanksgiving the last time I was on. Yep, yep, and I so think, yeah, that episode was the previous episode of this review series, and that's the last episode that we've released on the feed. So yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah. So uh, holidays, busyness. You had COVID. I had fucking COVID. Yep, yep. Uh, there was an attempted coup today. Yes. Oh yes. God damn. So it's been it's been an eventful couple of months. It really has been. For reference, we are recording this January sixth, um, and yeah, and Tiny, you're I mean you're like ten days away from turning thirty four. Thirty four, yes. Thirty four, yes, math. Um, so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, so tell Tiny happy birthday when you guys hear this. Um, next Saturday, the sixteenth. Thank you in advance, everybody. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you're on the hook now. You guys got to fucking do it. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So, um, happy new year, tiny. Happy new year, listeners. Um, how is 2021, uh, treating you? And, um, what do you have any Stephen King goals for the year? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I haven't thought about it much, um, as far as goals go. For, for Stephen King for 2021. Um, yeah, I know. I haven't, I don't really have any goals. Uh, you're only six days in to the year, um, and they've been fine up until today. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. So I, yeah. No, I don't really have any goals. Um, I don't have a check in either, unfortunately. I was, um, yeah, I was going to ask. Um, I've got plenty of check ins for the both of us, though. So I'll okay. get to that here in a second. But I was going to say, <laughs> Um, the resolution thing or the goals for the year probably would have been a better Patreon thing than the just, we didn't really do a Patreon thing. We just did a a conversation checking, catching up on everything. So check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. But, um, yeah. Should I go into my check-ins and everything? Yeah, go for it. I'm curious what you've been doing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so for reference also, um, 
this episode, we're going to be reviewing the last two episodes of the 1994 Stand miniseries, um, the uh, the Betrayal and the Stand, which aired in 19 something, uh, 1994, May uh, May 1994, May 11th and 12th, um, <clears throat> and May 11th and 12th be with you as well. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Check-ins. I, I have a lot of check-ins. As Tiny mentioned, I uh, came down with COVID, and uh, for the couple of weeks that I was out of commission with COVID and symptoms and everything, I'm okay now. I have a residual cough, so I'm sorry, and everything, and low energy, heart palpitations, and everything. You know, normal stuff. Um, so I uh, had some downtime, and I was off work for a couple of weeks, and I decided to... Uh, like it, it was an interesting thing. I wanted to feel like I wanted to feel better, like mentally. So I was like, I maybe I should listen to like an audiobook. Maybe I should listen to a um, Stephen King audiobook. And I was like, well, I don't really know if I want to re-listen to something. So, and I don't have the attention span to listen to like a full novel when I'm dying. But um, I ended up listening to. Um, it was it was a good run like the last week of the year i consumed the short story collections of stephen king i'm stalling so i listened to um yeah oh my god this was christmas like christmas christmas uh and the day after christmas i finished listening to different seasons and then Skeleton Crew, I listened to uh, over the course of a couple of days after that. And then I finished out the year by listening to all of Four Past Midnight. <coughs> These are all Damn, you were busy. Seasons. Yeah. And so Different Seasons has four novellas. It's The Body, Shawshank Redemption, uh, Apt Pupil, and um, The Breathing Method. Um, and so I was, I was really excited about that. Um, Apt Pupil, I'm so excited to watch that movie. Um, cause I know, and I know you're a fan of it, right? I am. Yeah. Uh, young Brad Renfro and a fairly unknown Ian McKellen. Yep. David Schwimmer is also in it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a good movie. Okay. Yeah. Directed by, um, I don't recall. No, you don't want to know. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Brian Singer. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We don't talk about him anymore. We um, don't. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, um, so that I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned before we took our little break that I'm going to edit out, um, that, um, I have been bombarding you and I've, I felt bad about it because I've been bar- bombarding you with emails about Tower Junkies in 2021. Um, because I don't know what it is. I just got kind of a, a bug up my ass about like, trying to be at least a little bit consistent with one of the podcasts in the in the new year um <coughs> so i've made like lists and stuff of things that i want us to cover and everything um do you have that mm-hmm. readily available that email that i sent Nah, we don't have to go yeah. through all that um we don't yeah about the the top 19 adaptation no but the email that it's like, oh, hey, this is all the stuff that I want to do for Tower Junkies in 2021, even though I know that you have a lot of stuff going on in your life. Um, <laughs> I do have it. I have it right here. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to ask, like, what, if anything, are you excited about? I don't want to give away, like, what we, what is on the docket because 
a year from now they're going to be like, hey, weren't they weren't they supposed to do this? And then Matt probably caught COVID again and um, <laughs> uh, had to put that on hold. Yeah. Um, but if you can pick one thing from the list uh, that you're excited, like that you're eager to try, we can give them a peek at that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to pick. I would say, um, I mean, I'm, I'm anxious cause we've been talking about it for a while mm-hmm. is, um, misery. Oh yes. Exploring misery. Um, cause I, I read the book, uh, in 2020 and watched the movie for the first time in mm-hmm. well over 10 years. Nice. Um, and we haven't just haven't had the opportunity to talk about it yet. Right. Um, other things have taken precedence, but mm. yeah, I, cause I, I hadn't read the book since, geez, I was like 13 or something. Jeez. Um, so it's sort of like the shining. I hadn't read this shining in like 20 years, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, I hadn't seen the movie in so long. So it was, it, it was, it was like I was reading it and seeing it for the first time. So I'm God, excited awesome. to talk about that. Yeah, we will do that soon. I promise we'll do that soon. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think we have something else that I want to do before. Like, basically, the schedule that I have for us tentatively is, obviously, after this, I want us to do the Stand 2020 miniseries. Yeah. But after that, I want us to do a Top 19 Stephen King movie and TV works episode. Um, mm-hmm. I think that'll be fun. And then after that, probably misery. And then, um, I have a couple of ideas for projects that we'll do that'll run throughout the course of the year. Like, I'm really excited about that one that I don't want to give away. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't know. Are you, are you excited about that? Or <laughs> <laughs> you talking about the short stories thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I am excited about that because it's a big blind spot for me. Yes, yes. And I was thinking, ah, this might be something for off mic. Um, but I was thinking like with that, like the idea, ah, we'll talk about that off mic. Anyway, I'm excited for that. And, um, <clears throat> the structure. Our listeners that, are waiting on bated breath. I know. They're also yelling at us, I'm sure. But <laughs> they're like, talk about the stand, dumbasses. <laughs> yes. Um, but I will say, and I haven't sent this to you or anything because I want you to not be like afraid or anything, but I made, <laughs> uh, that email that I sent you that has a list of all the stuff that I, I would like us to theoretically attempt to do in, in 2021. Um, <clears throat> I may or may not have created a note <laughs> with that same kind of thing for 2022 <laughs> and 2023. <laughs> uh, this so, is Jack's complete lack of surprise. So, so yeah, look forward to, uh, look forward to me just hosting Tower Junkies by myself forever and Tiny, like, leaving all of the podcasts. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So anyway, but I was bored because, you know, COVID and everything. And like, it was just like, okay, we're at the end of the year. This is either when I do my crunch time movie watching, but like throughout that entire time, I was like, I don't have, I, I don't have the energy to watch a freaking movie right now. So I'm going to listen and read short stories. But, uh, to add to that check-in, um, I have been reading, like reading with my eyeballs, weird, um, (laughs) Uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is his, uh, a- another, uh, short story collection. 
And yeah. <clears throat> I've been doing something fun over on Tower Junkies Pod on Twitter. Um, basically, I, every time I finish one of the stories, I just send a quick tweet uh, of my immediate reaction to those uh, to the story. And uh, I, I'm really proud because I put like a GIF with each one, and usually they're they're I, I'm proud of them <laughs> because they all have something to do with the story. Um, so like for instance, there's one story in it called Popsy. Um, this isn't giving too much away, I hope, but, uh, the short story is called Popsy and it involves someone in a vehicle and a monster landing on top of the vehicle and attacking. I'll say that much. So the, do you see her? Do you see pizza? Yeah, I see. Um, so the, um, the, uh, the gif that I attached to the tweet about that about Popsy was a gif from the Dark Knight of Batman dropping down on uh when he uh in the parking garage dropping down on the van. <laughs> I was really yeah. proud of that. Okay. Um yeah. So anyway, uh so yeah the short stories I'm I'm having such a blast going through his short story collections. Um it's been a huge blind spot for me. Um and I know it's a big blind spot for you just his short fiction. Um but I mean, man, it's there's there's some really good stuff in there. Uh, nice, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and I'm thinking because I've I've restructured the Patreon levels and everything, and I think that what I might do since event like eventually we'll do short story collections and we'll we'll figure that I have it all in the master list on the website, but <clears throat> eventually we'll get to those. But I think what I'm going to do is for the Patreon feed, for the $10 level, I'm going to record uh, at some point a uh, breakdown of my top 19 favorite uh, Stephen King short stories um, and just kind of just do that. And then eventually we'll do that same one when we both have 19 accumulated um, <laughs> on the on the main feed. So I don't know. We'll check that out. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, another check-in that I have is that I purchased the new paperback edition of The Stand, which is the 2020 miniseries tie-in edition. So nice. Don't really have much to say about it. It's pretty cool. Um, but you know, it's another thing for my collection. Is that the condensed version or like the un- uh, full uncut? Uncut, uncut. The the uh, the original publication, the cut version. I don't think that's in print anywhere anymore. Okay, that's how it should be. Yeah, yep. Uh, I do have a copy of that, though, by the way. Um, oh, cool. Paperback, so, yeah. Um, okay, uh, check is Oh, a big check-in, and then we can get into the actual episode, I promise. Um, I did a, an episode of my solo podcast anthology, and this pertains to Stephen King in a unique way. I interviewed uh, Tanana Reeve Dew and Stephen Barnes, um, who they both uh, they co-wrote an episode of the CBS All Access uh, Twilight Zone Season 2. They co-wrote uh, together the episode A Small Town. And I had the, uh, like, I just I just tweeted at Tanana Reeve and was like, hey, uh, do you want to come on my podcast and talk about the Twilight Zone? And she was super nice. Um, and and they, they were both great. Like, I, it was fantastic. So if you go to anthologypod.com, um, that's the latest episode of that podcast, um, is my interview with them. It's really great if you want to hear, um, <clears throat> to a, a, a married couple talking about their collaborative and creative process. It's like, it's, it's gold. Like it's, it's amazing. Um, and also Tanana Reeve is one of the panelists on the company of the mad, the stand podcast. Um, 
And Stephen Barnes was actually on episode three of that podcast um, when they when they were talking about the uh, the stand, obviously. <laughs> um, so yeah, so check that out and links in the show notes and everything. That's really awesome. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Nice, thank you. Yeah, I I felt really bad because basically I <laughs> I interviewed them on December 9th and. I, no, no joke. Within within an hour of uh, like completing the interview and and you know getting all the audio together and and everything, that's when I started coughing. <laughs> like, oh man! That's when I became symptomatic. And so like I, as I progressed through my COVID illness and everything, like I just like I couldn't find the time or the energy to put together that episode because I I had this whole idea. Because I, I still, I still have a few episodes of the new Twilight Zone to review on anthology, and I went on just a brief hiatus or a month long hiatus, months long. But I had this whole idea, like, okay, well, I'm this is for a small town, so I'm gonna connect this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the audio of this interview with my, with my review of the sh- on the main feed of the of anthology. Uh, but I still have to review the episode before that. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish the year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna pump out these episodes and spend the last like three weeks of 2020 just, just working on anthology stuff and getting everything out and just being in a really good place for 2021. Um, <clears throat> I finally released that episode on December 31st. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, <clears throat> so yeah, I, uh, I'm going to get back to anthology now that I'm, on on the mend and and getting getting uh back and everything but um it was really great chatting with them and i like i want to reach out to them when i'm in a more stable <clears throat> not coughing all the time place uh and see if they want to come on tower junkies cuz they're both huge stephen king fans and everything and like if you watch a small town like it has like it has a stephen king vibe like no other and i just i was all over that i loved it Awesome, man. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, that should do it for check-ins and everything. There's some news that I didn't compile that much, but the big news that we have is that, unfortunately, uh, Mike Flanagan's adaptation of Revival is no longer going to happen. Um, <clears throat> I believe he talked about it on the Company of the Mad podcast. I haven't listened to that episode yet, but basically, from what I gathered, gathered is that um he he was work he he worked on uh making a Netflix show that's going to come out next year um oh my god why can't i think of the name it's it's like a passion project of his um midnight mass midnight mass yeah um mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he was working on midnight mass throughout 2020 and with the pandemic and everything so i think it's just a thing where they j- they just can't it fell apart because you know timing and everything um but it's really interesting. There, there was a great Twitter thread that he did when they wrapped production on Midnight Mass, because he like, and God, I have so much respect for him just as a creative person and as an artist, because he was going through and talking about how everything, like, ha- like how they did the production in in the era of COVID and everything, and he was talking about how everyone just brought their A game and they adjusted and it was perfect, and and like he went into detail about what what precautions they did uh and how what the adjustments they did was it was just it's a, it's a really great just behind the scenes twitter thread i'll find it and put a link in the show notes but it was it was really cool so i'm looking forward to that that's awesome yeah and 
how do you feel about him not being able to do revival anymore? I'm really bummed because I had um, pretty high hopes for it because I liked the book a lot, and uh, I, he could. I think we're at the point where he can do no wrong. Really, yeah. I mean, he's like he's like the Christopher Nolan of horror. I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> Yeah. Mike Flanagan. Yeah, I know. I get what you're saying. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about Tenet on Obsessive Viewer. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's, uh, I am, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan, a huge fanboy. And so I, I'm bummed that he's not going to make that anymore. But maybe it'll pop back up at some point in the future and he'll be able to do it. Yeah, I hope so. And, and the kind of thing that I kept thinking about, because, yeah, I mean, the content of Revival is just really great fodder for Mike Flanagan's uh, creative eye. Like, that is a project I would love to see happen. But when I found out that he wasn't going to be able to do it, I'm just sitting there thinking like, yeah, it's a bummer, but it's not like he's not going to do another Stephen King adaptation at some point. Like, he's like, it's, he's one of the best at adapting King, and I'm, like, this doesn't mean that he's not going to adapt King anymore. So, I'm I'm not too upset about it because there's going to be more from him in that arena and more from him because he's just on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that's news. Um, <laughs> and I think we should probably review this uh, the this pair of episodes from the miniseries uh, from 1994. Do you want to uh, go into our review of the Stand miniseries? Yes, sir. A deadly virus released by a government mistake. A frantic military willing to stop at nothing to cover up the terrible truth. The so-called super flu does not exist. What did you do? What did you do? As the All right. So first up, we're going to talk about The Betrayal. It's episode three of Mick Garris' 1994 miniseries, The Stand. It originally aired on May 11th, 1994. And here's a plot summary. And I can't remember, did we do spoiler and non-spoiler? I think we're just going to spoil the episode. I think that'd be easiest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, plot summary is, Hundreds are now in Boulder, Colorado with Mother Abigail, but Randall Flagg has sent Nadine Cross to infiltrate the group. Unable to seduce Larry, she then sets her sights on Harold. But just as the citizens begin to organize their lives, Mother Abigail leaves Boulder. The residents do become concerned about what Randall Flagg-based... In Las Vegas, oh my God, <laughs> uh, COVID. Um, <clears throat> the residents do become concerned about what Randall Flagg, based in Las Vegas, may be up to, and decide to send three people west to find out. Um, Tiny, this is more fresh in your memory than than mine. How did you feel about this episode of the Stand miniseries, and how what what's the gauge of your interest? What's the gauge creed of your interest? in the miniseries at this point in your viewing of it? Um, I like this episode. Um, I think they did pretty decent justice to the, the character work because there's so, there's so much hard drama in this part of the story. Um, most notably where they have to select the three spies. Mm -hmm. Um, and of that most notably when Nick, Andros chooses Tom Cullen. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the more, I would say, disturbing parts of the the actions that the free zone people take, because um, it's just so it feels wrong. 
right? It's, it feels necessary, but wrong. Yeah. And, uh, I, I feel like they captured that pretty well, especially with the hypnotism scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, just to throw this out there, I think you have to <laughs> try decently hard to, to kind of set aside the campiness of this, this series. I can't remember if we said that in the, the first episode where we talked about the first two episodes of the series. It's like, yeah, it's campy. It's very campy. It's, it's nineties network television miniseries. Like they're working on a low budget and you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it, it was a different time in television, you know, mm. compared to the miniseries and the series that we see today. Um, it's night and day difference. And so I think if you can get past that and kind of set that aside and just appreciate what they tried to achieve and the performances of the actors, it's, it's, this is a pretty solid show mm-hmm. and, and it's definitely watchable it's enjoyable in so many different parts. And I feel like those scenes where they were, where Larry's talking to judge Ferris and where they're hypnotizing Tom and those, those, those really deep character moments are, are, are relatively satisfying in, in this, this series. Yeah, I I'll agree with you. It does. It, you can't really escape the campiness of it. I mean, like you said, it's it's a product of its era and everything. Um, but I do. Yeah. It's interesting coming to this miniseries, um, like revisiting it. I, I always had this idea or this kind of prejudice against Mick Garris's work in the '90s with Stephen King. I always thought, okay, well, it's just cheesy um, miniseries in the '90s, cheesy kind of low budget stuff, but. After going through and revisiting the Shining miniseries for the podcast, that kind of re recalibrated my viewpoint of him as a filmmaker because I I really like that miniseries, and so now watching the stand, revisiting the stand, um, I'm I'm just getting a lot more out of it, and I I think that this episode is is the weaker weaker of the two that I, I think that we're going to be talking about today. Um, Agreed, but. On the whole, I came out from these last two episodes of the miniseries thinking that this is a really, really solid adaptation. Um, it's really, uh, it, it is very much just true to the book. And I think that that's something that I really appreciate when, when looking at Stephen King's adaptations, uh, for miniseries. Like when he writes his adaptations, his own adaptations and couple that with Mick Garris's work and his eye for his work. It's, I mean, it, it creates a pretty solid, um, <clears throat> finished product that is, that is true to the book. And that's the thing that I appreciated most about these two episodes. Um, there are a couple of things that I, that didn't quite work for me. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to highlight that the, that the opening scene is the appendicitis scene. And, yeah. <laughs> And I feel like that was just a little too underwhelming and understated. Um, and I think part of that, it's it's interesting because I think part of that disparity with me or that disconnect with me with that scene in this miniseries is that I equate that part of the book so much with the ripoff of it or the homage of it that Lost did. Because if you remember in season four of Lost, Jack has to remove his own appendix. Um, mm-hmm. and it just feels like this is, this is the stand. This is this section of the stand in lost. So having it be just like 
completely underwhelming and just too sudden was a little bit of a bummer for me in this uh in this adaptation yeah and it's 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 really tacked on like it doesn't feel um in flow with the rest of the episode or the episode before absolutely absolutely like it's i mean it's the it's literally the first scene of this episode of the miniseries and it's like I mean, it's right into it. And I understand on paper that it, it is, it should be or could potentially be an effective hook for that episode. Like, oh, okay, now we're, we're rebuilding society, but also this is showing that we don't have like a, uh, we, we don't have enough background to really rebuild society because like, uh, uh, what was once a simple procedure has now killed this man. And like, I understand on paper and that's why it works in the book. But having it be just like an opening scene without context or without buildup of the tension just makes it feel just really uh, lackluster um, and kind of forgettable. Yeah, and it really is forgotten. Like I feel within a scene yeah. or not, like the next scene, like everybody's moved on. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do want to mention, I, I don't want us to harp on the cheesiness of, of this miniseries. But I kind of, I kind of laughed and kind of scoffed at the, uh, <laughs> the way that the, I don't even remember what the character's name is when uh, that had the appendicitis, but, um, when they're like, oh, he's, I, I don't think they say he's burning up, but they're like, it's clear, like he's, you know, in agony and everything. But like, there's like a steam effect coming off of his forehead. Like it's, it's very much, it's like a smoke machine that's, that's, supposed to convey that he's burning up so much that like he steam is rising from his skin and i'm just like come on like really like it just it did not work for me um yeah it was, it was it, it, what's funny about the campiness is that it, it touches everything like it's it's a little bit of the dialogue um yeah, maybe more than a little bit of the dialogue yeah. um some of the performances to an extent, I'm not trying to shit on any of the actors. I think they did a fine job with what they had, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the wardrobe, it's the settings, it's the, um, uh, some of the, uh, set pieces and the sets, the makeup, special effects, everything yeah. has a decent to very large layer of camp all over it. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, it's just funny how, how, how prevalent it is because I think, I think uh, to your previous point about the shining miniseries mm-hmm. with, from Mick Garris, I think, I think the performance of um, Stephen Weber mm-hmm. and Rebecca de Mornay transcends the campiness. I thought they were both actually really good and I liked them a lot, like with, with no camp pretty much. Um, but I feel like pretty much every character in the stand has at least a couple of moments of campiness and yeah, um, so it, that's what that's what really has stood out to the to me about this series since I watched it the first time several years ago, um, and that's my memory of it. Unfortunately, because um, there's there's some gems there's some gems in in the series and some stuff to to latch onto and enjoy. So yeah, absolutely. And I think what worked best for the Shining miniseries in comparison with the Stand is like the the whole fact that they filmed it at the Stanley Hotel. Um, yeah. and it had that kind of, that aesthetic built into it. Um, whereas this is a sprawling cross country story. So they don't really have that going for it, I guess. Um, but I do want to mention that I, I guffawed, um, <laughs> and 
giggled intensely throughout the rest of it because Stephen King popped up. <laughs> and he, he, he's the guy that picks up Nadine or he's driving Nadine on her way to Boulder. And like, at first I was like, okay, he has a cameo in this. This is cool. Um, and like, he's fine. Like he's, he's okay. He does okay. But then like, he becomes like a featured player in this, in this, in the show. <laughs> He has like um, he has like fifteen or twenty lines. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah, and it's just it's it was really I was uh it was really charming to me. I I enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, it was funny. I had only remembered him in the uh, not to jump ahead or spoil it, but in the like the one of the final scenes where Stu comes back. Like that's yeah. that's the only time I really remembered him in the series. Okay. Yeah, I forgot that he had such a his role was that much more significant than that. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't, I didn't remember any of it from his cameo. I'm not even sure if I saw these two episodes previously. <laughs> this might have been the first time I watched them. Um, yeah. But yeah, and there are some good elements in this episode, um, <clears throat> that I want to give credit to Mick Garris and the production and everything because there is, there's some really cool, like, artistic things that happen. Like, um, the shot of all like the kind of caravan of people arriving in Boulder just for, even though we kind of criticized the setting and everything uh, in comparison to the shining, having the Stanley hotels uh, kind of fall back on the, on the tone, this sprawling story, like seeing a caravan of, of people arriving at in Boulder and lining up to meet mother Abigail, like the, the sense of community that, like we know forms, but like this is the first inkling that like, oh, this is gonna they're gonna build a community, they're gonna build a society, they're gonna rebuild society. Um here, like that just felt really uh yeah, I was very engaged with it. I was very much, very much enjoyed uh that aspect of it. Did you like how did you did you feel that or how did you feel about the kind of community aspect of, of this episode of the stand? I, that, that's like one of my favorite parts of the book is the, uh, the building and forming of the free zone in Boulder. And, uh, I, I feel like it was pretty brief in this episode. Um, yeah. it's 20 to 30 minutes, if that, um, really with the exception of the, the town meeting, I thought that was pretty nice. Um, that was relatively well done. And I know it was cheesy, like, like even in spite of the campiness, it was cheesy where they all like sung the national anthem and everything. Yeah. But um, I, I did enjoy the kind of enjoyed the part where uh, Nick Andros like had his hand on Ralph Brentner's chest and was like feeling them singing. And that was sort of touching. That was um, cool. I like that. But I, I, I liked that part of it, but everything else just felt so rushed. Um, like the, the clearing of the bodies, yeah. Um, the, the turnoff committee, the um, uh, getting the electricity back on all that stuff was really brief um and i understand it like i i'm not faulting it for that you have to edit somewhere and mm -hmm. condense things somewhere whenever you're adapting to television but um just the fact that it's one of my favorite parts i was a little a little salty over i can understand that for sure it it does kind of leave a little bit to be imagined i i understand on on paper the structure of this miniseries i understand like okay this episode is where we're going to allocate as much time as we can to building the community and building the boulder free zone yeah and then well and, and even in addition to that another rushed part that sort of follows that is um uh, nadine um coming to coming to larry and they're 
their moment, which I thought was was fine, was decently well done, mm-hmm. uh, where he rejects her, and then she goes to Harold, and Harold just so quickly makes the decision to set the bomb and kill these people and go yes. join Randall Flagg, and 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 I understand that in the book and in this in this series, um, several things have led to that moment, but it just felt really rushed and and just. Yeah, it was a, it was a little unsatisfactory. I I definitely agree with that. That feels so much more. It it feels like in the miniseries, it's handled so so matter of factly. Like this is something that needs to happen um, throughout the uh, th- to push the story forward and everything. It doesn't feel like an organic thing that builds up through the tension. Um, <clears throat> it feels just like absolutely. Yeah, it it it, it like I agree with you. It definitely feels too brief. Um, and it and it also kind of undercuts. I feel like the, I feel like there should have been maybe a, a couple of scenes more to fix it, where to show his conflict with it because he just it essentially just turns into just this asshole boyfriend to this girl. <laughs> Uh, to Nadine, like the whole um, oh, I'm building bombs and stuff. You leave me the fuck alone or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it's too brief and too uh, quick. But I will. Yeah. Say, and oh, go ahead. Sorry. One of the cool things about his character evolution in the books is I think the he he develops that sort of um, empty smile that he carries around the town. Harold does, um, and and he's. He's really like dead inside and just um, completely lost any any personality or charm that he had. And he's just putting on this face. He's literally practicing smiling in the mirror, and and that's all very disturbing in the in the book. And it's it's a huge part of his character's evolution, and it's basically missing from the series, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a bummer, but um, maybe is a good thing because. The actor uh, Corin Nemec. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Mm. Uh, He's not very good. Uh, Sorry, he's he's not a great actor, and there's not a lot for him to work with. And so I feel like him doing some of that stuff where he's like practicing smiling in the mirror would have been wicked campy and cheesy. It would have been pretty unbearable. So maybe it's a bit of a silver lining in this case. But um, I was I was bummed that it wasn't there. Yeah, I I definitely I definitely uh agree with you there. That that is something that definitely was missing. Um to kind of pivot from that, uh there's the the scene where they turn the power back on. I really appreciated because I feel like there's this artistic kind of duality to that. There's a juxtaposition of the the power coming back on and then like when they before they decide like okay well we need the turnoff committee or whatever. Um I don't even know if there's a scene where they decide that, but um before they decide to go turn everything off, just there's this very brief montage of like the laundry the laundry machine kicking on and it's 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 a beautifully constructed set of shots because it's just showing the power returning and then it's just juxtaposed with the dead bodies in each scene like these are the people that just drop dead um in the middle of a of a of a chore like doing laundry and she's just like you know okay it's what it's in the washer and then 
the power comes back on and just starts back up. I just, I really like that juxtaposition. I think that that's kind of cool to see that the progress of the, of the Boulder Free Zone in contrast to the just complete devastation of the world. Um, I thought that was a really cool, uh, visual element to the episode. That's true. That was fairly well done. Yeah. Yep. And as cheesy as the committee, uh, scene was, I think that Gary Sinise did a fantastic job. Um, he really sold that kind of down home, uh, country guy, the kind of, the kind of, uh, I almost said Southern Bell, (laughs) but the kind of (laughs) Texas kind of good old boy thing in thrust into this. Like he played the, the, the shaky confidence really well in that scene. I really like that. Agreed. Yep. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about with this episode, I think, cause we, we covered as uh, we covered quite a bit, I think, um, <clears throat> is when they drop Tom off, um, uh, to make his quest to, to, to be a spy. Um, did you, did you, clock where they dropped him off at no okay they didn't show it but but like they showed us a sign that said that they they were dropping him off in estes park colorado which is where the stanley hotel is um i thought that was kind of a oh yeah i thought that was kind of okay i didn't i didn't easter egg i did i do remember that being on the screen but i didn't know that's where the stanley hotel was oh gotcha yep yep so i thought that was a cool piece of uh uh, trivia or, or cool, like Easter egg. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So overall the betrayal, um, oh, we didn't, re- <laughs> we didn't even really talk about the shoe bomb, the shoe box bomb. No, we didn't. Well, it, no. again, that was another thing that was pretty brief. Like they got to yeah. it really quickly. Yep. Again, it's, it's, it's built up and drawn out in the book in in a very satisfying way. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it was fairly brief in the, in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I do think it was, Again, decently well done. Uh, I I actually I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty solid acting. I, I think that could have been a, a huge campiness moment, over the topness for Corin Nemec as as Harold Lauder. But I he was cool, calm. I think he did a good job in that scene. And this big old they actually blew up a house. Yeah. You know, yeah, it wasn't like a really crappy cool. um like the uh, in one of the previous episodes, like where they were showing Des Moines. The city of Des Moines burning off in the distance. Oh yes, uh, with Larry Underwood and Lucy, and it looked so so bad. <laughs> yeah, like something out of fucking Microsoft Paint. Right. Um, That's right. This this was a real explosion and looked really good. So yeah, the production value was really cool. That that was a cool set piece. I, I liked it, and I do like that they retained the "I'm Harold Emery Lauder. I'm doing this of my own free will," and that falling on the deaf ears of 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 of. Oh my God, uh, Nick Andros. It was I, I. I've said before that's one of my favorite parts of the book or favorite aspects of the book. So I'm glad that they totally kept that. They retained it for the miniseries. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yep. So that is the betrayal. Um, are you ready to talk about the stand episode four? Yes. Okay. All right. So we're gonna now talk about the stand episode four, the stand, which uh, aired on May twelfth, nineteen ninety four. And 
I'm going to go ahead and read the plot summary. The final confrontation between good and evil takes shape. Tom gathers information and tries to return to Boulder. With Mother Abigail gone and several members of the committee killed in an explosion, Stu, Larry, Glenn, and Ralph set off west as instructed. Nadine and Harold set off for Las Vegas, but Randall Flagg has something special in store for both of them. Flagg's group starts to fall apart. Trashcan Man decides to set the biggest fire of his life. Um, <clears throat> so Tiny, how did you feel about this final installment of The Stand 1994 miniseries by Mick Garris and Stephen King? Uh, this is my favorite episode of the of the series, and I think this is the, the, the most well done of the four. Um, in contrast to the previous episode, The Betrayal, um, where they sort of, it felt a little rushed in a few, a few spots. Um, it felt like they appropriately took their time throughout most of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I appreciated that they, they, they gave due credence where it needed to be done. Um, um, most notably, um, with, uh, Harold and his fate. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, uh, Stu with his broken leg and stuff like that. Um, the, the, the culmination of the conflict, the, the, the climax of the conflict and all that stuff. I feel like they, they did that stuff pretty well, actually. Um, one of my favorite parts, um, was actually where, um, Glenn Bateman is in, has been arrested by, uh, his, his, uh, the man in blacks or, uh, the dark man's mm-hmm. peons and he's in jail and he has his conversation confrontation with Randall flag. And, uh, again, that had so much opportunity to be campy and fall into campiness and not be good. But I, I actually, you know, I actually enjoyed Ray Walston's performance mm-hmm. and, and, uh, um, I thought he did a good job. I, I, I thought it was fun. I thought I thought it was well done. You know, it was it was a um a worthy a worthy depiction of that scene for for the end of life of Glenn Bateman. Um and just all the I thought it just it just it was a good way to wrap it up. They they did did justice to the to the ending that's in the book and uh, stuck to the book mm-hmm. really well. Um I liked it a lot. It's my favorite episode. Uh me too. I'll echo all of those sentiments. Um I think we'll talk about the ending specifically later on here in a bit, but um, I do like that. I mean, they were true to it. <laughs> um, and it's such a bonkers, weird ending that I, I just, I really appreciated that they, uh, went for it. Like the whole hand of God thing is like, I mean, that's such a weird thing from the book that I could easily see that be adjusted for the, for the adaptation. But I think that they did a pretty good job with it. I thought it was, I thought it was good. Um, mm-hmm. Regarding Harold's fate and Stu's injury, um, I don't remember if I really registered this with the book, in the book, but the thing that I really appreciated about the adaptation is the way that it, it uses those two things, those two, those two character arcs as different sides of the uh, of uh, like a representation of both sides of the conflict like Harold is an agent of Randall Flag and he um gets mortally injured or injured to the point where he you know has to take his own life and everything cuz he has no 
no recourse to save himself and everything. And the big injury of that is he injures his leg and it cripples him to the point that he has to die. Um, Stu, on the other hand, is an agent of the good and he injures his leg also, but he has the resources. He's, he has Kojak. He has his friends that make him comfortable and everything before they set off to complete the quest. And it's just that dichotomy, that, ju- that, that kind of the way that those two characters have such similar, um, experiences, but vastly different outcomes as, as kind of a, a representation of, of the conflict of good versus evil. I just thought that was a really well, well constructed kind of comparison for, um, both of those characters with the overall theme of the, of the, of the story. Did you pick up on any of that or how did you feel about that? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Um, I, and, and they weren't, you know, it wasn't, Oh, Terrell, here's, uh, here's two. It wasn't back and forth between right. those two. They were separated, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, again, a, a, like you said, a good, a good juxtaposition of good versus evil and, and yeah. how, you know, if you make the right decisions and use the force of good, even in a terrible situation like that, you can find your way out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it was, I don't even think it was foreshadowing, but when, when, uh, Harold was still back in Boulder and before they set off the bomb, he, he looked over at Nadine at one point and said, you know, we're, we're damned. Um, oh yeah. And, and I thought that was um that was in a way he was kind of giving up in that moment. Yeah. And and he was not really he wasn't the same uh industrious Harold and and clever really brilliant Harold from the first, you know, mm-hmm. half two thirds of the book. Yeah. He's he, he's annoying as shit. He's brilliant and he's not, doesn't have ill intent and, and just, it's, it's, it's tragic, but it's also a, I think a good lesson in a way to see, you know, how your decisions can really screw you over. Long-term decisions can really screw you over when you get into a bad situation. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. I, I like that read of it. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the quest to well let, let's talk about let's talk about Nadine and her yes uh, her fate and everything um i was very nervous about uh Jamie Sheridan um as flag um because i i just felt like that character is very much i mean he's an off the wall um very um, like over the top character, but it, it has to ride this line, uh, to where he still needs to be intimidating. And I think that where, where the miniseries does a, uh, does a really strong job of depicting him is in the way that he treats Nadine after they finally meet and the kind of, as, as, I mean, as effective, but still kind of goofy as the, face changing effects were um where they show like his true form and everything um it was still pretty kind of borderline chilling and seeing his the way that he introduces Nadine to his camp 
and where she's just catatonic and he's he's playing it like like oh you know she's she's my wife and everything and like like he's a the doting husband on this woman that's clearly just destroyed emotionally and and mentally at this point it's just that that was that was probably maybe the most chilling part of the whole miniseries for me um so how did you feel about that yeah you you kind of took the words out of my mouth that's exactly what i was going to say i think again the scene where they make love for the first time and actually get to physically meet for the first time is actually really disturbing yeah (laughs) as as it should be um because that moment that scene in the book is written really well mm-hmm. and it's also disturbing in the book and, and to, to great effect but honestly i think i think my reaction to, to the scenes in the in the miniseries were more extreme than when i read it in, in the book Interesting. Um, and and again like you said the, the his face changing that effect is peak camp for this yeah <laughs> for this uh series it's it's bad it's really bad they do it a lot <laughs> um it, which is kind of unfortunate but once you get past it and I got past it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's scary. It's, it's, it's effective. He's an intimidating character. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that to your point, I think that's exemplified really well in how Nadine handles it. And, uh, and, and Laura San Giacomo is the actress who, mm-hmm. who plays Nadine. She, uh, she's just a, sh- a shell of a person after, yeah. after that. And, uh, it's, it's disturbing. It's, it's, it's a, it's a sentiment that lingers throughout several scenes because of her performance and how damaged she is up until she commits suicide. Uh, yeah. It's that was all very effective. Oh, I, I agree. It's some of the best writing I think in, in the, from a dialogue perspective and, and setup perspective as well. Um, in the whole miniseries for me, yes. just that, that it's, he is, I think he's, is he arguing with Lloyd or one of his henchmen? And then, and then that switches to him arguing with with Nadine and then Nadine's suicide. I don't remember how exactly how it all panned out, but there's a couple of scenes where <clears throat> there's the scene where she and him she where she commits suicide, and then there's another scene I think where he is having an argument with Lloyd or someone, and I just think those two scenes were really good um even though I'm being super vague because I can't really remember them. Um, right. Yeah, I, I agree. And and it's, um, I think in the, in the book, speaking of Lloyd, I, I think the character of Lloyd is, is more developed and much more sympathetic in the book. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like he's, he's really portrayed in the book as being, especially at this point in the story, he's very much along for the ride and he's sort of like come to terms with the fact that he is on the wrong side of this conflict, Yeah. but he didn't, didn't have a choice. Like, like he, he made his choice back in the prison, you know, when, when, uh, when Randall saved him yeah. uh, from starving to death, he, he made his choice there. It wasn't much of a choice, right? <laughs> obviously. But, but I feel like he, you know, he kind of has to continue on this path. He can't diverge from this path. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like that was conveyed better in the book. Um, it wasn't absent from the, from the series, but um, it's one of my favorite parts of the book because he's literally the right hand guy, you know, yeah. the right hand of evil mm-hmm. in this, in this story. 
Um, but his he, emotionally and intellectually, he does not convey that whatsoever in the book. Um, but his actions do because he's, like I said, he just cannot diverge from the path he's on. Um, uh, and, and that was unfortunately missing from the series, not missing, but just not as well developed in the series. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. Um, definitely. So, uh, we, we neglected to mention, oh God, what is her name? The spy. Dana Jurgens. Yeah. Dana Jurgens. Um, yeah. Her, and we didn't talk about the judge either. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was again, sort of brief. Uh, I, I do, um, what I liked about the, um, the writing for Dana and the performance, uh, the actress is Kelly Overbay, mm-hmm. uh, who played Dana Jurgens. Um, in the book, she's, she's really, um, she's a badass. She's totally. a badass, right? And, totally. and up until, up to the point where she is discovered as a spy, I feel like she, doesn't fit that bill very well mm-hmm. in the uh, in, in the in the series, but I understand why it's missing. But then once she's once she's made as a as a spy, yeah. she goes full badass. And oh, I thought they, that was another part that I liked a lot was her her the climax of her character um, where she is confronted by Randall Flag. Um, I again, it was very true to the uh, very true to the book and. She she kicked ass. She was great. I, she totally. was, I, I her performance was great. The writing was great. I really enjoyed that part. Me too. I was a little um, <clears throat> not perturbed, but I was a little disappointed that it, it the with the set of it because it's in this weird like room that's like dark and and mysterious and I just I remember it being in. I I feel like it was in like a different room or like a conference room or something in the book. And it just, that turned me away. But the violence of that was really, yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with, I think that's one of the worst sets on this, yeah. uh, in this series, because I agree. It's like, it's just like the walls are like a chalkboard, like they're mm-hmm. dark and there's like no fern. It's supposed to be like, I think it's supposed to be like the top, the penthouse of a hotel. Yeah. Um, and there's like no furniture. Yeah. It's, there's no bed. There's no chairs. There's no bar. It's just like black walls and checkered tile. And it's big. It's, it's a horrible set. I can, um, I can understand it as like trying to convey a coldness, but it just doesn't work. I mean, it's (laughs) so dumb. I doubt that's what they were going for. I doubt that was intentional, but yeah, you, you are right. But yeah. Frankly, I mean, for all I know, they could have probably, um, they, they, I mean, it, it, I, what I'm probably, I'm probably projecting, I don't know, you tell me, but I mean, I could probably see maybe they tried to buy furniture for that set from a furniture company. Um, <laughs> let's just, let's just make up a name, Ashley Furniture. And, <laughs> but the customer service was so shitty and terrible that they couldn't get it furnished. I don't know. <laughs> you might be projecting a touch. Maybe follow me on Twitter, <laughs> my Twitter account for uh, obsessive viewer, because I am ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh God. Anyway, and also check out Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <yeah. clears throat> do you want to talk about the 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 climax, the bomb, and everything? Yes. Yes. Um. 
I, I love it. Like, I mean, it, it looks, I, I have an affinity for seeing Vegas in like, a, like, uh, in a movie or show. Cause I've been there a few times and it's, I mean, it just looks really cool. And the, I mean, they, it, it, it like the set design was really cool. I, I like that. So how did, yeah. How did you feel about, about the ending there? I agree with that. I think that's one of the sets they actually nailed and hit it out of the park um, with the pseudo pseudo crucifixion thing with uh, Larry and Ralph or Glenn. Uh, no, uh, sorry, yeah, Ralph, uh, Ralph Brenner. Um, it, like yeah, that 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 aesthetic with the backdrop of you know Sin City and it. it I don't think that. That may have been a stage or like like a sound set, but it I that could have very well been like Fremont Street in yeah. Las Vegas. I don't know. I can't. I or maybe can't, Reno or something. I can't say for sure because, like I said, I've been to Vegas a few times, but I was never in Vegas in 1994. But <laughs> I want to say that it, it looked like a, a location. Um, right, it looked it like looked a location like shoot. Location. Yeah, yeah. So. Right. So yeah, I thought it was highly effective. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I really enjoyed, enjoyed that set piece. And I think, um, again, it was, it was true to the book and in, in the writing and the performances and everything and, and the motivation. The only thing, two things. First of all, I, I think some of the best makeup in the series was when Trash Can Man finally comes back. Yes. That was actually pretty effective makeup. And I thought that was decently well done. Mm-hmm. Um, He's, he's pretty over the top, but I, I think that's sort of true to the character in, in a way. I don't know. It, it didn't bother me in that moment anyways. Yeah. Um, so that was a good thing. But then I, I, I'm maybe I'm misremembering or maybe you can straighten me out, but I feel like in the book during that part where Randall Flagg is reading his decree about putting the, the two guys to mm-hmm. death and everything, I feel like in the book, there's so much of a collective mood amongst the the audience of of the you know the people of Vegas. Um, they're it's, it's they're not at all participatory. They don't yes. want to be there. They feel horrible, and it's like a collective thing. Like everybody does not feel good about what's happening, and it's it's very present in the book. And I really love that because it's like. The, the, the train is totally off the rails at this point. As far as the Randall flag and his minions, it's, it's, they're at the end of the road and yeah. they should all, and they all know it except for flag. Um, yeah. And I feel like that was not very present in the series. Like the, the audience and the crowd was very into what was going on. Well, for the most part, into what was going on with the exception of Whitney. Uh, speaking up at the end, and then he gets hit with the lightning bolt and shit like that. Um, but that that was the only mention or the uh, occurrence of that collective thought that didn't seem very collective. And it it's unfortunate because I think it's a really great part of the book, and I I really love that part of the climax and and of the book. And it was I don't want to say it was entirely absent, but it was nowhere near as prevalent as in the book. And that's sort of a bummer. Yeah. How did you, how did, did you pick up on that or feel the same way? I picked up on it a little bit because I think it, they kind of condensed it all into Whitney's character. And I appreciated that, but it, it is a part of the story that's much like the kind of committee meetings and everything in, in the previous episode. 
needs to be fleshed out a bit more than what they what they had time for. So Yeah. I appreciate that they had that and that it is that it is at least in the miniseries at so, in, to some extent, but I'm hoping that this new adaptation kind of rectifies that. I agree. And again, I'm not I'm not saying it was a bad a bad scene or it really took away from it because I liked it a lot. I thought it was actually a very good climax. Um, yeah. it, it was well done. Um, but that is one of my favorite parts from the book and it wasn't really there in the series. Um, so yeah, I, I, I still liked it and thought it was, was really well done. Yeah. And, and the way that that scene plays out is, uh, it, the, the kind of culmination of it, the, the bomb, like, like you said, the, the makeup effects of trash can man is just incredible. But, mm-hmm. I just, I, I really enjoyed how much it stuck to the book and how it actually went for it with the, um, with the bomb and the hand of God. I, I, I appreciate that. So, how'd you feel about the actual, like, final end of everyone? Yeah, I, so another part of it that I didn't mention, um, that's sort of ironic is the, the open, uh, faith of, Ralph and Larry in the yeah basically from from the point that they get arrested on the road to when the bomb goes off and they die mm-hmm. um I actually really connected to it and really appreciated it which is ironic because I'm I've said it before I'm an atheist and I'm not a religious person at all but the the character of god mm-hmm. in this story in the miniseries in the book is obviously real and is very convincing and is a a, a force for good and, you know, is present, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, physically and, and metaphysically Mm -hmm. in in the, in the series. And so I think it's really, I, I I just really attached to the way that those two, especially latched onto that faith and it got them through like just putting myself in their shoes like that would be awful. Like right. you're literally, literally about to be ripped into pieces, mm-hmm. and they're very level-headed and and totally just in the moment, and they never lose faith for a second. Yeah. And uh, they captured that pretty well in this series, mm-hmm. uh, and and did a really good job with it. Um, to the credit of the actors and the writers and everybody, I I enjoy that a lot. Um, but yeah, the whole you know I feel like the whole hand of God thing is pretty it's one of the more controversial parts of the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure we talked about, I can't remember exactly what we said in our review of the book. Um, But I, I kind of, as far as reading it in the book, I made peace with it and it doesn't, I think the first time I was kind of like, I don't really know what he was going for there. And the, just the imagery of it didn't sit great with me. I didn't hate it or anything. I don't think it's one of his terrible endings or anything like that. Um, but I don't think it was the best bow to put on the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the visual of it and seeing it in, in the series, um, you know, I, I haven't seen this series in at least 10 years. Um, so it was sort of like watching it for the first time. It felt like um, I actually didn't mind it. I, I, I don't want to, I don't know if I go so far to say I really liked it, but I, I sort of liked it. I just, I guess, you know, if you can get past the campiness again and the crappy CGI, um, I, I thought it was actually kind of cool. Um, the, the sort of 
uh, light, hand of God made of light um, was was sort of cool and how it wrapped its hands around the bomb and set it off. I, I, with modern CGI and some some better a better budget, um, maybe it'll if if they go that route in the the new series in twenty twenty, um, uh, I think it could be pretty effective. Um, and I I really didn't I really like sort of liked it. I don't know. I'm I'm actually not really sure how I feel about it clearly. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty decently effective actually. I can I can definitely understand that perspective. I I remember I I liked it a lot more in the in the book. Um I'll say that. However, um I I like I said I I liked that they incorporated it into this. Um Yeah, I didn't have any problems with it really. So I and I'm curious how they're going to handle it if they're going to handle it in this uh in this new miniseries. So Yeah, I'm curious myself. Um cuz I could see them putting the completely to use my analogy from a minute ago to put a completely different bow on it and mm-hmm do their own thing because it is notoriously controversial or uh, panned by a lot of King fans, uh, an ending that a lot of people don't like. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see what they do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I do. I will say for the record, I do like that. I do like that. We have that metaphysical kind of ending for that. Um, <clears throat> and I like that we, I like that King went for that ending for a book that he, uh, it's notoriously said that he had writer's block, um, at one point. It's just, it's interesting that he can have such a, uh, such a, such an interesting ending. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, really, really the story builds towards it. I mean, it's cause throughout the book, God is a character that works through others mm-hmm. and he's not physically like, he's like never physically present. He's always, working through people's minds and through other people. And then at the end, he, I guess if that's how you want to interpret it, I don't, you know, or not, you know, God intervened and that's his literal hand, you know, setting off the bomb. I don't know if that's how you want to interpret it, but mm-hmm. either way, it's, it's cool that all of that throughout the entire book culminates into a physical thing that happens. Yes. Um, and, and I think I, seeing it in the series gave me a new appreciation for it. I, I think that's one of the best ways I can put it. It yeah. gave me a new appreciation for that ending. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, we can kind of start winding down a little bit. I do have two things that I want to bring up um, to round out this review. Um, first, we didn't, we didn't really talk about the judges and his fate. Um, yeah. You mentioned that it was kind of brief, I think. And I agree. I, I, I like the, I like how it's, pretty pretty straightforward and pretty clear uh pretty pretty honest to the to the book um so how did you feel about that yeah it was in keeping with the book for the most part um it's it's a tragic end i think the character is more developed in the book um than than in the series but uh it's sad you know so many people <laughs> so many of these characters were great characters and they were good decent people and they had mm-hmm. to it's a shame they had to had to die yeah. <laughs> frankly they they had to stand you know yeah. um the way and, and and everyone did you know um dana nick the judge um larry and and ralph amongst others they all it's such a cool metaphor and yes. and uh, oh, yeah. uh seeing 
the judge is a great example of it. You know, he's, he, he doesn't, he doesn't give up. He makes a stand and, and that's, um, it was, it was satisfying, but, uh, not one of the parts of the episode that really jumps out, I guess. I, I agree. I'll, I'll agree with you there. Um, and then the final thing is Stu and, uh, Tom Collins adventure home featuring Kojak. Um, how'd you feel about that? Cause in the book, I, and I'm glad that they didn't go this route in the mini series, but in the book, it is a very long, like, it's like 80 pages of them just living. Yeah. I liked that a lot as a palate cleanser in the book, but it would, there's no way it would have worked in the mini series, I don't think. No way. No yeah. way. Especially in this mini series. It could work in the 2021, I will see. But yeah, I, I do like, and I do like that Stephen King is his character is the one that kind of like one of the ones that kind of greets them when they come home. I I don't know, <laughs> right? I I agree wholeheartedly. I love 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 that part in the book because it's just so palate cleanser is a great way to put it, and it's it's so sweet and charming and and nice, and it's such a bright spot amongst a fucking bomb, a nuclear yeah. bomb, right? Yep. Um, and and it cements Tom Cullen as a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love all that about it in the book, but you're completely right. It would not have worked at all in, in the series. It would have been, uh, it would have drug it out too much and been, um, it would have slowed it down. It yeah. would have been a terrible pacing choice. Um, they, they made the right decision in the series. Yeah. And with just a, well, I mean, cause the, the mini series is four episodes, all like 90 minutes. So that's, uh, like six hours? six hours, yeah. Um, so maybe with this new one, they have nine episodes, hour length. Maybe they can incorporate that into the storytelling in a in a clean way. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think we've talked out this final episode of the Stan miniseries from 1994. So, kind of to wind down, uh, overall thoughts on it as a whole. How does it hold up, and how do you um? compare it overall with like the shining miniseries that we talked about previously on the show. Well, I think this is the kind of the trifecta of, or it it completes the trifecta of nineties campy, uh, Stephen King miniseries adaptations between the shining it and this, this, this completes the trifecta. And, um, I think of the three, my favorite might actually be it. Interesting. Okay. I'm not sure, but but I think um, to sort of build on on my opinions of the other two is I think it's absolutely worth a watch for people who are fans of mm-hmm. the book. Um, and it's it has it has a lot of great qualities that are that are in the book that people latch yeah. on to. Um, the characters are for the most part decently pretty well done. Some of them are, are really well done. Stu Redman. Gary Sinise nailed it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, several of the other characters, uh, actors did a great job. Uh, Rob Lowe and um, 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 uh, Ray Walston yes. as Glenn Bateman, Molly Ringwald I liked. Um, so yeah, the solid performances. Um, yeah. If you can get past the campiness and just take it for what it is and, and you know have an open mind, I think it's really a solid series. I it's all three of these uh 90s series of Stephen King adaptations were all completely ripe for a readaptation or or a redo. 
um, which they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not the shining, but um, well, sort of you know, with Doctor Sleep in a way. <laughs> in, in a way, yeah. In a way, that's true. Yeah. Good point. Um, but but yeah, it's you know, I, I didn't. I've always wanted another adaptation of The Stand mm-hmm. and another adaptation of It. Um, but I think I think the two these series they released in the nineties have their moments and they're totally worth a watch for King fans. And and that's what, that's what you and I are. We fall into that category and I bet that's what a lot of our listeners are. And so yeah. I, th- I think that's why I sort of champion them despite all flaws, these, these series and, and the stand is, is a good example of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well said. Um, yeah, it, it held up really well for me and I'm, I'm kind of interested in revisiting the other, like at least The Shining, um, and comparing it since it's another Mick Garris one. But yeah, that that kind of trifecta of the three miniseries in the '90s is is an interesting parallel to draw. And I don't know, I, I of those three, I think The Shining is my favorite, and I think that this, I don't know, this might be, um, you know, this might be number two because I think. That first It movie from 2017 kind of really made me excited for, like, I, I love that movie and I think that that kind of dra- sort of drags the miniseries down a little bit for me and mentally just because I'm weird. Um, <clears throat> if that makes sense. So, yeah. Totally. I get it. Yeah. Um, okay. So to wrap up, um, <laughs> You have you haven't watched any of the CBS All Access miniseries, have you? No, I wanted to fi- I wanted to finish this first. Great. Yes, I did too, but I got really impatient, so I watched <laughs> I've seen the first two episodes, so I will abstain from this section of the of this discussion, but I want to ask you Tiny, what are you looking forward to in it? Um what's your expectations and yeah, are you excited? Well, you know my <laughs> I'm most looking forward to, I think, I think they, they hit the casting pretty well. Like, I think they nailed that pretty well. I like all the cast they got. Um, I can't speak to the production direction writing side of it mm-hmm. that well, but I just, I'm really ecstatic about the cast. Nice. Um, and I'm also not, not crazy about where it's the distributor. I, I've, I've said my piece right. about CBS All Access. Um, I would have loved to see it on, you know, obviously HBO, Showtime, Netflix, yeah. Amazon, Hulu, whatever, um, as opposed to CBS All Access. But uh, I, I'm optimistic about it. I um, I think they have – I would almost be so cynical to say that I think they have nowhere to go but up <laughs> after after this – after the Stan series from the 90s that we we just discussed – um, but who knows, you know, who, who really knows? Um, but yeah, I really just look forward to the cast. I think in the last episode we did, I, I, I talked about how one scene that I'm so looking forward to is Glenn Bateman and Randall Flagg having their confrontation, um, being acted by, uh, uh Alexander Skarsgård and Greg Kinnear. Yes. That's, I really want to see that. Me too. Um, Me too. And, and I hope they don't screw that up <laughs> Same here. um but yeah so there, there's a lot i'm looking forward to with it i'm definitely optimistic mm-hmm. uh, nice. um i'm looking forward to watching it. i'll probably start watching it this week sweet nice yeah and i was gonna ask so 
I'll abstain from saying my my thoughts because I I've seen the first two episodes. Um, my question is in the in the dossier I have for Tower Junkies podcast and everything. Um, I have it broken down. I believe I have it broken down to that we would do reviews of two episodes for each for for each episode of the podcast. So we would do a review of the first two episodes, uh, then three and four, five and six, seven eight. And then do a wrap up episode with episode nine and our thoughts. But I want to pivot or I want to ask you, should we do, since it's aired three episodes and the fourth episode is airing tomorrow, um, should we do three episodes each episode of the podcast so that we can knock them out in three episodes? If that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably a better idea. Okay. Nice. So we will do that and I will update the master list on towerjunkiespot.com. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think that'll just about wrap us up. I do want to ask one thing to our listeners specifically. Um, as I've said, um, I am very much excited about potentially doing more Tower Junkies stuff in 2021. And my question is, since the format of the show is that we kind of, we don't adhere to a strict, to a strict, like, um, chronology of of recording the reviews and everything like we're not going chronologically um through his work and his adaptations so we do have a lot of episodes to cover in in general but there is a group i have like an i have endless notes for this podcast but what i want to ask to our listeners is there is a group of episodes that are a group of novels (coughs) excuse me there is a group of novels from Stephen King who that has one adaptation or one adaptation that we will cover as part of the podcast. So we've already said that we're going to talk about Misery coming up soon, but I want to pose this question to the listeners and I want to post this on social media and everything to get a thing. But of the ep- of the novels that I'm about to recite, what movie what what novel and movie do you want us to work on covering? At some point in 2021. Are you cool with me posing this question? <laughs> yeah, go nuts. Okay. So here's a rundown of, of it. We'll, I think we'll probably each say what we personally would like to cover. Um, but then we'll defer to the aggregate of listeners as they come in and let, tell us what to do. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> okay. So the novels with their adaptations. We've got Firestarter, Cujo. Cycle of the Werewolf, The Dark Half, Needful Things, Dolores Claiborne, Dreamcatcher, and Cell. Okay, so let me read those again. Firestarter, Cujo, Cycle of the Werewolf, The Dark Half, Needful Things, Dolores Claiborne, Dreamcatcher, and Cell. I will put a link in the show notes. I'll put all this in the show notes and everything. So, of those novels what would you listener like us to cover to prioritize covering in 2021 and tiny which of those would you like us to cover in 2021 what are you more in, most interested in covering i'll send you a the two i'm most interested in yeah. <laughs> okay the two that i'm most interested in covering would be uh needful things and um uh dolores claiborne so needful things because I haven't, I still don't think I've 
read any stories of his of Stephen King that are like set fully in Castle Rock, mm-hmm. unless I'm misremembering. Um, but most of the Castle Rock stories are just a, a blind spot for me. Um, um, and I've heard those are good. Um, the the book and the adaptation are are both both good from what I've heard. And then, uh, Dolores Claiborne, because I've heard, again, I've heard they're both great. And, uh, Kathy Bates, I want to see Kathy Bates again. Mm-hmm. Um, after having watched the misery movie recently, she's just nice. fucking amazing. So yeah, those are the two least, mm-hmm. least looking forward to is sell. Um, yeah. cause the book is, meh, it's fine, whatever, mm-hmm. but the fucking movie. So I try, <laughs> I fell asleep during it you, you in two, two it. different viewings. Oh, I, I don't wow. think I, I don't think I finished watching it. Wow. Um, I, the first time I tried to watch it, I fell asleep like 20 minutes in. And then the second time I tried to watch it, I fell asleep like 40 minutes. And I, I don't think I've, I don't think I finished it. Uh, Jeez. I, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So funny story about cell in particular. I, I had an interaction on Twitter. So as I, as I said previously, I've been tweeting. Uh, my thoughts on each of the uh, short stories that I read in uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. <laughs> and uh, one of our listeners, uh, uh, Jason, I so there, there's a story in Nightmares and Dreamscapes called Home Delivery. And I'll just read my tweet about it. So Home Delivery, it, it's a story about a, a woman, a pregnant woman uh, in a post-apocalyptic world. And my tweet is, Home Delivery... As a Stephen King fan and a fan of zombie fiction who really didn't like Cell, I'm so glad this compelling, violent, and visceral zombie story exists in King's work. And so, uh, Jason replied and said, As a fellow King and zombie aficionado, the only, <laughs> the only zombie take worse than the Cell book was the Cell movie adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I, I got a huge kick out of that. So, Suffice it, suffice it to say, Cell is my least interested of that, of that batch. Um, and I would say the most interested I am of that batch of, uh, novels and movies is Needful Things, actually, because kind of the antithesis to your, to your reasoning for it is because I have been going through the short story collection. So many of those short stories take place in Castle Rock and, and, uh, kind of explore that town. And in fact, the, uh, the novella in Four Past Midnight, The Sun Dog, is, it's, it's, it's the only story where Pop Merrill is a character. And he's like a, he's one of the main characters of it. And I didn't mention this in the, in the check-in or anything, but I'm, but as I was reading that story, it just, in, in comparing that to the other Castle Rock stories in the short fiction that I've read of King the last few weeks, um, just, it makes me feel like even more appreciative and impressed by the work that went into making Castle Rock the TV show, because it's just, it's so like the way King writes the town and writes like this kind of timeline or this, or all of these events that happen in Castle Rock. It's not like a, it's not like a huge, like unifying thing. It's not like he's building Midworld or anything, but it is this place that I really enjoy dipping into when it comes up in a story and um yeah and and needful things to to kind of bring it back to this list of of potential episodes for 2021 
Needful Things is billed as the last Castle Rock story. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to read it, um, and, and review it. So those are my picks. Or that's my pick. Needful Things and, uh, sell for the one that I don't want to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. For, for the cool. what? Uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, oh, cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's funny how we sort of agreed there. <laughs> yeah. I will say my wild card pick of the bunch is Dreamcatcher in a weird way. <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah, because I listened to Dreamcatcher last night, or not not last night, but last year, and uh, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> but it would be fun to to review that and in the movie because I haven't seen the movie since we were teenagers. And uh, mm-hmm. and then my closing thought of the batch is I also will co-sign for Dolores Claiborne because I think that'll be interesting since we've covered um Gerald's game as well, and those are kind of two interesting and somewhat i think they have some kind of connection like a location connection um as well so okay yeah so anyway i will post this on the facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash tower junkies pod and on the twitter account at tower junkies pod and also detail it in the show notes of this episode so let me know what you think or like contact me tweet me at tower junkies pod or email mad at obsessiveviewer.com or you know whatever but comment on facebook you know you know how to reach me and i will aggregate all of the votes and I will make us prioritize one of these for 2021. Sweet. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode of Tower Junkies. Um, once again, please check out our Patreon page. Um, uh, we chatted for a while, uh, on this one, but, uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, one, $1 or $2 per month get you, gets you access to over 100 um, B-roll audio episodes that we, we record before we record an episode of the podcast. So that's built up to over a hundred recordings. Uh, most of them are 15 minutes to 45 minutes even. Um, so I mean, it's, it's well worth it in my opinion, because some of it's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. and then $5 gets you access to all of that plus commentary tracks that, uh, I'm, I have a personal goal for 2021 to record more commentary tracks for the patreon so i just last night recorded and uploaded a commentary track for 2007's super bad um as part of a project that i i'll just say it i'm hoping to go through as many of my top 25 favorite movies of all time um and do commentary tracks throughout 2021 and 2022 um but also for tower junkies listeners at the five dollar level what i'm hoping for and 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 i shouldn't say this because i know that i'll fall behind and everything but I, my goal for 2021 is to do a Stephen King adaptation commentary track and release it on the Patreon page for the $5 reward tier, um, on the 19th of every month. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> I don't know if that will come to fruition, but all of that content is going to be available on the Patreon page for $5, uh, per month. And then, um, $10 gets you access to unreleased audio, like full episodes and early access to episodes as well. So all of that, we, we, I'm looking forward to doing more, uh, Patreon stuff for all of the podcasts, um, over at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So check it out. Um, Tiny, do you have any closing thoughts for our dear listeners out in the internet world? Um, <laughs> uh, no, no closing thoughts except that it's great to be back. Yes. Awesome. Um, I agree. Me too. Um, so yeah, so that'll do it for our 1994 miniseries review of The Stand. Next up, we're going to do, we're going to dive into the 2020 one. Um, I'm probably going to watch episode three tonight, maybe. Um, 
So I'm, I'm so excited because I've been holding back on that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So anyway, um, yeah, that'll do it. Thank you guys so much for supporting us and, uh, long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. Nice. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, So for the past couple of days before, you know, there was an attempted overthrow of the government, um, I had that stuck in my head. And, like, I, I didn't do it as loud, but, like, I would look at pizza and be like, Motorcycles and Trump, baby. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and terrify this poor cat so much. Okay, oh my god. Um, Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at ObsessiveViewer.com, and on Twitter, at ObsessiveViewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at AnthologyPod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. Finally, check out The Secular Perspective. Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash as good as it gets band. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!